You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Monday night brought the Vickless starting five back together for the first time since mid-October, and it did not disappoint. The Pacers smoked the Memphis Grizzlies 126-114. to TJ Warren returned to form after a miserable pre-Thanksgiving week as he scored 26 points on 11 of 15 shooting tonight. Following him with Jeremy Lamb with 19, Malcolm Brogdon with 14 and 8 assists, and DeMontis Sabonis with 13 points and 13 rebounds. Off the bench, TJ McConnell and Aaron Holiday continue to make their case for why they should be in the rotation as McConnell scores 11 and Aaron Holiday scores 16. For the Grizzlies, after going down in the first half with an injury scare, Rookie Phenom, John Morant, managed to return to form, finishing with 19 points and 10 assists. Fellow rookie Brandon Clark joined him atop the leaderboard with 17 points. The Pacers move on to 10-6 as they win the second game of a four-game homestand. Welcome in the Locked On Pacers podcast. My name is Adam Friedman, as always, I'm the host of this wonderful show. And on today, I'll bring you the good, the bad, and the ugly from the Pacers' 126-114 to win over the Memphis Grizzlies. So the Pacers thoroughly dominate Memphis. I know the final score was only a 12-point win, but they led as much as like 30 points at one point, uh, and it was a thorough beatdown that pretty much just was shrunk from about 25 to 12 simply because the Pacers kind of put their foot off the gas playing guys like Alizé Johnson, TJ Leaf uh, for about three minutes in this game. So, and that's, I think, where we'll start. So the first good, and this either can be a good or a bad. It's a bad for TJ Leaf, but a good for the Pacers. Pacers have locked in what feels like their their pre-Sumner Vic return rotation, which right now it feels like obviously the starting five of Sabonis, Warren, Turner, Brogdon, Lamb, with the Holiday brothers, McDermott, and McConnell off the bench, and then the occasional go-go depending on the situation and whatnot. Uh, and that feels like a good nine. That means TJ Leaf will be out of the rotation, which I think is a good thing, a bad thing for him, but good for the Pacers. And it just feels like this team is sort of set with those kind of four or five, except with Goga kind of being the fifth option. We'll see what happens when Sumner returns. Then we'll have some choices between Sumner and Justin Holiday. But um, the way McConnell, really the way that McConnell and Holiday have played for the better part of I'm McConnell for about two weeks and Holiday for the last, let's say, a week, it's pretty much made it impossible not to play both of them. Um, so like with Holiday, obviously, he had the game-winning shot on Saturday night. That was huge, but if you look at his last, pull up his last five games real fast on me. So his last five games, you're looking at, so let's go six, 17 points, well, 11 points uh, against Orlando, 17 against Oklahoma City, 12 against Houston, 11 against Milwaukee, 24 against Brooklyn, and 13 uh, against Orlando. And then tonight, obviously, he had 16. That's actually his last seven games. Sorry about that. Um, looking at a guy who, in that stretch, is averaging, let's see, let's do it real fast. Um, this is without tonight's game. It's not on B-Ball yet, but he's averaging about six assists per game. He's shooting a respectable 44-40. Most of his shots are coming from three. Um, we're talking about, you know, he's averaging about six shots per game and five of those from three. Just good stats um, for the young guy who will go through up and downs, will have nights where he just has a bad night. But because of where he's at, he is in terms of, like, career arc as a second-year player and a guy who, um, you know, just has a future as maybe the starting point guard of this team. It just, it, there's no reason not to play him. Uh, and then McConnell is just, you know, it's about winning, frankly, with him. Um, pretty much starting against Detroit, he, besides the two games he missed due to injury against Brooklyn and, and 
Orlando. He's look, looking at a guy that's averaging 11 points and 7 assists per game, roughly on 65%. He made his first three-point shot tonight. Uh, he had 11 tonight, so the average will go down a little bit. But just a player who, like, just brings some competency off the bench. Um, you know, I, I was a little less skeptical than my coach, Tony's, before the year. I thought, you know, McConnell could be a valuable player. And just as a veteran guy and a guy who sort of fight, and he's just one of those scrappy small guys who – you know, was borderline going to be in the league route this year and really, really fought his way, you know, got on our roster, and you knew once he had an opportunity would fight his way into this sort of rotation. And the way he plays McDermott and the way he sort of just um, orchestrates the bench offense, it just it feels like you can't bench him yet. And like I said, it'll become a tougher choice when you get uh, Edmund Sumner back um, and then also when you get Vic back. I mean, that become really tough because then you're talking about Jeremy Lamb shifting. But there's a good case you make they could do a McConnell – Holiday, Lamb, I guess McDermott at the four, Goga lineup, and then obviously, you know, sub in there, Sumner maybe for for McConnell. I don't know. It's going to be tough, but that's sort of what we're looking at now. But both those guys had good nights tonight. They were a part of my good. Uh, they, you know, limited minutes. I mean, 18 for Holiday, 19 for McConnell. Um, Holiday was 6 of 9. McConnell was 5 of 12. He, uh, McConnell had 6 assists to go with 11 points. Like, just... Just two guys who had very solid nights, quality off the bench, really made the the uh, what I would call a piss poor Memphis Grizzlies bench unit um, get you know put it on them at least. Uh, and then so going back to some of the bad, the only bad thing I really had it's hard to have a bad thing when the Pacers score 126 points, pretty much win by 30, you know, score 30 points in every quarter, but the last one are pretty much up 20 points the entire time, but. Um, you know, Miles Turner, I know he had an efficient night, don't get me wrong. He goes three of five, got five blocks. Um, and really, it's not even his, his defense, because his defense was very solid. I mean, he was making a lot of contested shots at the rim and making um, guys, you know, redirect shots and all that stuff. I just felt offensively, and I don't know whether it's because they went away from him because Jeremy Lamb and TJ Warren took 31 shots combined. But it it, it just felt like there wasn't a, a presence there for Turner offensively. And maybe it's how it's going to be most nights. I just... I guess maybe it's not bad for Turner, but bad for Turner's stat line, the fact that he had seven points. But, you know, if Turner's okay being the seven points, five rebounds, five blocks kind of guy, I think there's nothing wrong with that. That's kind of the role this team needs right now, especially with so many talented offensive players. He really is the fifth option in offense. He's really the fifth best, which is better than it was before, where arguably he was like the number two, three, I guess, you know, Vic, Bojan, him, then Thad, then Collison offensively, at least like in terms of workload. You know, Collison was more efficient, but... Had a, had a was not willing to take a ton of shots. So that's a good sign for the Pacers in terms of that, but I just it's bad for for uh, Miles Turner's stat lines. Um, you know, another kind of iffy, I guess it's sort of like iffy. It's, um, you know, the post play of the Pacers in total, right? So they only had 20 points down low. That seems low for them. You know, they had 12, 13 shots total between Sabonis and Turner. I don't know if it's a bad thing. I think it's one of those nights where it's pretty, it's okay. I mean, they obviously won by a ton of points. Maybe that's why it doesn't have to work. Maybe it has to work from the, you know, the post players sort of running a lot of the, the off-ball actions and all the actions and setting up guys like Brogdon and Warren and Lamb to score points. Maybe that's maybe that's the best version of this team, but I just thought that was interesting how, you know, for the stat line, at least of Sabonis, you know, he, he had a good rebound. Sabonis always got the best off his, you know, his per game per points will be down. But again, I don't know if it's necessarily it's a bad thing. I think I'm kind of searching for bad things because they're such a good game. It's But in terms of stat line, it's probably bad for Sabonis. Um, you know, if we're still nitpicking some more, you could talk about the free throws. So, you know, none of the guards, um, Brogdon, Lamb, or Holiday or McConnell got to the line tonight. I don't really know. You know, that's been a kind of a 
a common place for this Pacer team, I guess. They seem to nobody seems to get the line a ton, but it continues to kind of you know Brogdon was doing a better job. Uh, look at Brogdon's stats before coming in. He's taken about four free throws per game. Uh, he took zero, so. I don't know whether that's like the, a terrible thing. I mean, it might just be a, a prisoner of the moment kind of thing, but it, it's certainly not the best sign. Um, going back to some good, because there's a lot of good tonight. Um, so Warren really found his form. He he was pretty miserable, I would say, the past week. Um, if I pull up his stats, you're going to... I mean, I know he had about four points against Orlando, which was really bad. He just he just hadn't had a good, I don't know what you call it, four fucking stretch. So his last four games before tonight... Looking at the guy who's averaging 11 points a game, four and a half rebounds on 28% from the field and 29% from three. Obviously, he um, broke that mold, kind of got back to his, you know, two weeks ago form where he was, you know, 11 of 15. You know, he had a lot, you know, I thought Warren's going to be successful, not if he takes a ton of threes, although he was three of five from three, so don't get me wrong. And he had one three that should have counted, he just tipped out of bounds. So, really, probably four of six if you think about that. But it's just. He felt like he got a lot of um, good looks around the rim. Uh, he got a lot of shots within five feet where he is just incredible at converting those. I mean, you talk about a guy who, like, inside three feet might be, like, the best shooter in the league, give or take. Um, so his inside three inside three feet this year, he is shooting 66%, which, isn't even a career, which is actually a career low for him. But continues just to be a really, really good scorer inside that three feet range. Uh, and his three-point percentage is going to inch back up there from, I think it's probably at 20-something overall now, right? So this season he's at 28.6. He'll probably get closer. I think that number will stay in the low 30s for a while because he's doing so best with the year, but he, he's inching that up and up a little bit more each game. And so it was good to see him return, you know, take advantage of bad team. I mean, you know, if Warren at his worst is going to be just a guy who beats up on bad teams but helps them win games against every bad team, that's fine because especially when Vic returns and you have Brogdon, you know, playing assistant games, you know, this is Brogdon's first game back after missing about three games, almost a, basically a whole week of action. Um, that's good enough because it's going to be the third option most of the time. It's going to be the guy who's supposed to kind of bail you out on a rebound, maybe gets an extra rebound or bails out on a cut. So I'm okay for now if Warren's just the guy that kind of carries against these bad teams, maybe struggles against the good teams like the Bucks and the, the Rockets. But then, you know, when he sells into his third option against those teams, and maybe on nights when you want Vic to rest, he can be the carry. That's That's kind of... The perfect blend for him. Uh, Jeremy Lamb, another positive night for him. 8 of 16, 19 points. You know, when every time he plays, I'm impressed. Uh, obviously, he hasn't played a ton of games this year. We're talking a guy who's played six total games, averaging 16.5 points per game. But I continue to be impressed when I see him play. I feel like he is always just a good player. Um, you know, he's shooting, you know, and I guess really look at his like stat line. He's like only 45 and 25 and 87 splits. Um, which isn't like something over but it just feels like he's a really just solid player who can get you points when you need to get points. And he's going to be great as a sixth man when he comes in. So he had another solid night. Um, you know, the last guy I guess is worth mentioning is McDermott, who had seven points on three of five shooting. McDermott, I think, continues, you know, even on what you consider maybe an off night for him, is still have a solid night. Like he has just been impressive to me as a, definitely taking sort of a next level offensively to sort of become, I think, the, the, the reincarnation of Kyle Corver. I know it's a white-to-white comparison, and you don't always need to do that, but just the kind of guy who provides such an efficient offensive game that you have to play him even if he's just a terrible, terrible defender. The only, only ugly I have from tonight's game, that is the Memphis Grizzlies. This team is in the rebuild mode. It's rough to watch. They just were not good. They um, A lot of the Pacers get a lot of second-chance points. Uh, so, like, offensive rebounds the Pacers had... 
If I do this real fast, had 10 offensive rebounds compared to the Grizzlies. Grizzlies had nine, but they had 10 offensive rebounds. Pacers ended up at one point they were winning the shots, taking battle. Obviously, they lost that. Um, they were shooting, I think, like a 60% at one point at the half. Like they had, you know, Pacers had 67 first half points, which probably is a season high if I dug a little deeper. So, yeah, the Grizzlies just not not a good NBA team. But you know what? That's not the worst case. Not the worst thing for this team. That hopefully, you know, this team is looking to go probably 18 and or maybe 20 and 62. Get a top three pick pair. You know, James Weissman, the Memphis. You know, the guy who played high school basketball in Memphis. Then he's not playing college in Memphis. Come there, pair him next to John Morant, Jaron Jackson, and that's and Brandon Clark, and that's kind of their future. So they have a good outlook. I think Brandon Clark was kind of impressive in my opinion. Just you know, a guy who I think went in the 20s probably. Maybe I'm off, maybe late teens, but just a, a player who, did he go in late 20s or teens? Now this is going to bother me. But definitely a guy who was not expected to have this good of like a first year. Um, 21st overall is putting up good numbers and quite impressive. Um, yeah, that's all I got from today's game. Uh, let's take one quick break and I'll bring you a, a general topic segment. All right, welcome back in the Locked on Pacers podcast. So... We're getting to time, getting to the time of the Sabonis and Turner discussion. So we'll probably have this periodically throughout the season. You know, I talk about it more than Tony does, so I'm doing the solo show, so that's what I could talk about. So Turner Sabonis tonight had another efficient game, I think is the, the polite way to put it. So, for example, the two big men combined for 13 total shots, shooting 8 of 13, going 1 of 3 from 3 and 3 of 6 from the line. Some hard numbers on that is 20 points, 17 rebounds, 8 assists, 2 steals, 5 blocks. The blocks all came from Turner. The steals all came from Sabonis. Uh, combined for only 5 personal fouls, obviously 4 from Turner and 2 turnovers. So um, not a bad stat line. Uh, Drummond probably scored a 2017 every single night, but not a bad stat line. But the thing with Turner's Sabonis is it's gonna, it's gonna we're heading towards a point where the discussion is going to, to become about are they better separated? Can you get more out of one when they are playing one with a different four and whatnot and so on, right? So for example, are Turner and Sabonis together each 90% of the player they would be because they're playing out of position on either end, right? So on one end, you have, and really it's for Sabonis, right? Because Turner's basically playing the rim protector, but at times playing on the perimeter more than he should on, de- on the defensive end, so you're getting 90% of his defensive value. And the other end, Sabonis is playing sort of, you know, Turner's basically neutered to play in the corner and the kickout pass, and then Sabonis is kind of playing a lot of with the ball and moving around. But is he, you know, getting guarded by the centers or stuff like that, or by, you know, are they basically, is he basically being neutered offensively because he has to sort of be the roaming guy versus kind of the focal point of the offense and is not being run through him and whatnot? And that's a discussion that I think is worth having. But the thing is, is I, I don't think it can be done productively. And that's where this all kind of starts. So I'm going to throw some numbers, and it's going to be pretty clear pretty quickly. It's pretty hard to judge this whole lineup thing. So just some of the advanced numbers. Turner's bonus together, 104.9 offensive rating, 105.4 defensive rating, a negative 0.5. How does that compare to the Pacers as a whole? As a whole, the Pacers are a 107.7 offensive rating, 16th in the league, that means the Turner pairing is 3.3 points lower than the Pacers' normal rating, 
and the pitcher normal defensive rating is 103.3, which means it is 1.6 point, or sorry, not 1.6, 2.1 points higher defensively when they're on the court together than the team as a whole or the team as an average. So by that metric, it's like, oh, well, this do- doesn't work because they're a, they're a better team somewhere else than when these two guys are on the court. I don't know. Dig a little deeper, right? So how's, how does this look work when you have some of the other pairings? So, right, so there isn't a ton of evidence of, like, you know, Sabonis with a four, for example. You know, Holiday played a little four. Warren played a little four when Turner was out. But really, in both instances of Sabonis with Warren, it's a 105.9 and 98, which is a 7.1 rating, which is higher than the pitch as a whole. Um, a way better defensive rating for some reason. It's got to be opponents in that one. And the Holiday in, in Sabonis line is kind of a similar numbers to the Warren Sabonis, talking a 7.4 net rating positive, 105.5 and 98. Kind of meaningless numbers there, but if you look at it, I guess there is a case to be made just off those three numbers I gave you, the Turner Sabonis net rating, which is minus 0.5, Hall- Justin Holiday and Sabonis, which is 7.4, plus 7.4, and Warren Sabonis, which is plus 7.1, that Sabonis is better off being with kind of a stretch four but again, you can't really look, you have to look at who they're with and whatnot, and it's hard because there's been a lot of lineup jumbling. So it's kind of, you know, some of those Sabonis war minutes are with Turner as well. Same with the holiday minutes. Some of them are with Holiday and Warren and Sabonis, and who's playing the four, who the fuck knows, excuse my language. So there's some of that kind of all in it. Um, some of the hard numbers, right? So like just what are the averages? So when Sabonis are on the four together, they're averaging about 22.2 minutes in eight games. Uh they're combining, like, the team scores 48 points, roughly, when they're on the court together. Uh, you know, the team shoots 46%, 40%, 84%. not bad. You know, you'd see it more like a 50, 40, 90, but that's a good stat line overall. I'd have many player. Um, the team averages 20 rebounds, 11 assists, 6.6 turnovers. That's where the high number is, right? So you're talking about almost a less a less than 2 to 1 assist turnover ratio, uh, 3.3 steals, and 2.4 blocks. Uh, 2.1 block attempts. So, and 8.3 fouls. That's also so. Some of those hard numbers are look pretty good, right? Just the hard numbers are like the team shoots decently well. There's not really this three point lost, you know, when you have Sabonis out there because they can't stretch it out as much. Um, the team is still getting a decent amount of rebounds. I mean, they're about 50 50 on rebounds in terms of like when they're on the court, they get about 50% of the team's rebounds, Turner Sabonis. Um, 50% of all rebounds, sorry, not the teams. So, that's not terrible. There's uh, you know, a seven, you know, the assist to turnover ratio is relatively the same with uh, Turner's most as the team as a whole. So a lot of the numbers, I mean, obviously because the guys are kind of playing significant minutes together anyways, 22 minutes. They played basically of all the two-man combinations, they played the fifth most, and that's with missing like six games. So, you know, what they do will indicate what the team is doing. But, you know, all these numbers, all this stuff is really to say there isn't really enough to judge right now and the best indication indicator really might just be wins losses and really who they beat and who they lose to right so i think think the Pacers can be breaking down into kind of three categories of wins right wins versus teams that you are competing for championship like nine of those teams so the nine championship competing teams are rockets nuggets jazz bucks sixers celtics heat maybe it's just seven Clippers, Lakers, sorry, Clippers, Lakers, there, there's none. You know, what are the Pacers' record against those teams, and then what are Turner's bonus rating against those nine teams? Then it's kind of this next class. I'm not going to name the teams who were kind of playoff fringe teams, competing teams. That's like the basically the where the Pacers fall, that like 10 to 16 category, and then the 17 
to 30 category. So I think at some point, and we'll probably have to wait for 40 50 games, I would look at those three kind of teams they played and how Turner's bonus do. And I think I think you'll see a pattern where with the 17 to 30 best teams, the, the combination works because they're just two solid high IQ players who can just beat anybody like the Grizzlies tonight against the 10 to 16 teams. We'll see up and down success. And the one that teams will see limited success, maybe only against certain teams who are playing bigs like the Sixers and whatnot. So that's sort of how I would judge this when it eventually comes out. You know, I did this whole segment basically to say that right now we really don't have enough hard data to prove anything, so we really can't take anything from it. But, you know, it is encouraging in a sense because it looks like the two players are certainly not detriments to each other. The question is, could you just get more out of playing one versus not the other? And there's a competition to have about is there a better opportunity out there in terms of is there a four that fits this team with the right cap number and whatnot that you can get that makes the team significantly better. That's a competition for another day. I have no idea about that, but just a thought for now. So, I don't know what you guys think. Uh, if you want to tweet at Lockdown Pacers about the Turner Sabonis pairing or about the good, bad, and the tonight's game or whatever else, feel free to tweet at our podcast, like I said, at Lockdown Pacers. Me at Freedom 5 My co-host Tony's at TSMVA. We'll bring you a jazz preview tomorrow. Look forward to that one. That is all for his Lockdown Pacers podcast, and we'll see you guys again tomorrow.